Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. You know, I, I freely admit that I like to, um, I, I watch junk TV a lot, and one of the shows that I'm just enthralled with for reasons that I have difficult exp- explaining is the show Gold Rush that runs on, I think, the uh, Discovery Channel on Fridays, and it, it features these people, including a guy who's from Milwaukee, who, you know, they, they go to Yukon, or they go to Oregon, or they or they go to Canada, or Alaska, or, or wherever. I guess Yukon is in Canada. And what they end up doing is they, they, they mine for gold, and, you, and some of them are successful at it, and some of them aren't, but I'm just, I'm always sort of fascinated by watching the stuff and how it happens. But one of the big catchphrases that comes from the show Gold Rush is shut her down. And it seems at least three or four times on every show they're screaming shut her down because there's always something going wrong. You know, you're you're running this dirt through the plant and the plant is always busting down and there's water flying all over and there's dirt flies. I said, shut her down. And so that's kind of the Gold Rush cash phrase. I, I just... On, on a different level, we, we've got a we've got a story here locally, and the question is, when are we going to shut it down? I, I'm talking about the the alternate care facility at State Fair Park. The um, I, I do not fault this. Now, some people might look at this and say it was a complete and total waste of fifteen million dollars. You know, they, they took the exhibit hall at State Fair Park last fall and they converted it into a five hundred and thirty bed overflow facility, and the idea was. If if the hospitals get overwhelmed with COVID patients, this is this is sort of the the release valve, and you you could send people there. And and again, I I don't fault doing it because the truth of the matter is, if we've learned nothing out of this pandemic, the idea is you, you want to be you want to be prepared. And we you know part of the reason that we're in the mess we've been in for the last year is I don't think we we prepared well enough. So I, I'm not going to criticize people for turning that exhibit hall at State Fair Park into into the, the the facility but at some point in time it, it's kind of time to move on and i bring this up because if we were playing the game of jeopardy the jeopardy answer would be christmas eve the jeopardy answer would be christmas eve the question would be when was the last time there was a person a patient in the covid facility at state fair park the alternate uh, facility and that would be December 24th of 2020, there was one person there. Um, the high number of people, and again, it was a 530-bed facility. The high was on November 20th, a little before Thanksgiving, when you had 23. But for, you know, most of the time, it was it was single digits. And according to the state website, there's been nobody there since December 24th. No, Nobody. Um, now, again, I'm not... I'm not faulting the, the preparation, but at least as far as I can tell, that facility is still open. They were using it for a while. They were using a portion of it away from the hospital portion. They were using it for an infusion therapy thing, um, but but that that stopped on December on February fifth. So there's been nobody in there for that. And I guess I, I do 
as we try to find some silver lining in the very dark cloud that has been the, the pandemic, I, I think one is that we we have a handle on it to the extent that hot, the hospital systems simply are not being overwhelmed anymore. And the big thing nowadays is to, again, get people vaccinated and, and have them move on. But, um, yeah, if you were wondering and you were playing Jeopardy and the answer was Christmas Eve, that would be the last time you had a patient in the alternate care facility at State Fair Park. We had it. Thankfully, we didn't need it. And now maybe it's kind of time to move on. All right. Journal Sentinel, in a story by Dan Bice and Mary Spacuza, takes a really cheap shot at Scott Walker. But the fact that it's it's a cheap shot doesn't change the, the overall discussion. Let, let me explain. The headline of the story says, Former Governor Scott Walker, a frequent absentee voter, now backs limiting absentee ballots to nursing homes and the military. Now, here's why this is a cheap shot. Walker apparently sends out a tweet saying, I, I, I think we need to go back to in-person voting. I, I don't think we should have... You know, other than people who are in the military and people who are in nursing homes, I don't think people should be able to, you know, vote remotely. All right. And so then the, the cheap shot and they, the cheap shot, and they really should be kind of ashamed of themselves for this, is that, well, how, how dare Walker say this? Because he himself has voted absentee in the last several uh, elections. And, and this is appalling. And it, what a hypocrite he is. Well, first of all, it's not hypocritical. This is kind of like me saying, gee, I think we should do away. This is before the, the change in the tax laws. I think we should do away with the change allowing people to deduct their state income taxes off their federal tax form. But the law says you can. So I might say, hey, in theory, I don't think you should do this, but it's the law, so I go ahead and do it. So does that make me a hypocrite for believing that we should change the tax policy? Well, of course not. I mean, it's it's the law, so you take advantage of it. So the Journal Sentinel story is a cheap shot dig at Scott Walker, and and that that's okay. That's you, you get these cheap shots. But to me, the more interesting question is the one that Walker raises. And again, his his statement is. Um, I voted on election day this past Tuesday in person, and I would gladly do so in the future. He goes on to send out a tweet calling for election measures, including um, absentee ballots should be narrowed to people in nursing homes or deployed in the military. Same day voting for the rest. Now is the time for election integrity measures. Now, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're going to be having a huge conversation about, you know, do we need election reform? Now, it's going to be difficult to get meaningful election reform if we even agree that we need it in Wisconsin right now because you've got a Democrat governor and you've got a Republican legislature. And, and I think other than tinkering around the edges, it's going to be tough to get any sort of agreement. But but let's talk about same-day voting. Do we need to stop people from being able to vote either early in person or by mail? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In this election, what were the numbers? I mean, about 50% or more of people chose to vote before Election Day, and they chose to vote by mail. I candidly, and, and maybe I... You know, break break ranks with some of my more conservative friends. I, look, I think voting by mail is is here to stay. It's not going to change. And moreover, I don't think it should change. Now, if there are things that we need to do 
to make sure that people aren't improperly voting by mail. I'm willing to have that discussion. But at least at this point, I haven't seen any evidence of widespread voter fraud. That is, you know, dead people voting by mail, people voting multiple times by mail. Voting by mail is a convenience that makes it easier for people to vote. I think the more people use it, the more people are going to be comfortable with it. And, and like I say, there are things that you can do to tinker around the edges to, you know, remove likelihoods of fraud. But we're not seeing vast elements of fraud. And, and yes, as the reality is, if we can avoid have people having to wait in line for two and a half hours in the cold and the snow or the rain on Election Day and cast their ballots earlier, I don't have a problem with it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How about you? Should we get rid of voting by mail? We discuss in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, just to go back and give people some perspective, I the first time I voted for president was when I was 18 years old, lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I was away in college. I I voted absentee. I wasn't able to come back and vote in person. So I filled out all the stuff, sent it in. They sent me a ballot. I filled it out. I sent it back. I voted by mail. So voting by mail is not some unique sort of thing. It's been going on for essentially forever. Now, we've made it easier over the years to vote by mail because it used to be to vote absentee, you had to show that you were unable or at least sign a form saying you were unable to vote in person, like I I was halfway across the country. Um, Now the law says either unable or unwilling to vote in person. So it's easier. You have to request the ballot. But candidly, I don't see this as leading to huge problems. It is a convenience that makes it easier for people to vote. And this, this idea that well, we, we now have to limit this to in-person voting. Number one, it's not going to happen. And number two, I don't think there's a need for it. If you want to tighten up some of the ways, you know, we, we do this and you want to say, hey, the ballots have to be received, like the law says, by eight o'clock on, on the election night. I'm all for that. I, I think there's ways you can do it to make it better. But I don't think there's any need to get away from it. Let's talk to Rudy in New Berlin. Rudy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, I think the early voting is too early, and I think the reason for that is is that what about the little guy that wants to run for an aldermanic district, and he's only got enough money <clears throat> to run ads for the week before the election, and people have already voted two or three weeks before. And I just don't think it's fair, otherwise we're never going to get new talent into these p- particular positions unless they have a lot of money. Well, I mean, I guess maybe the the thing is it maybe just changes when you do your ad spending. You don't save your ad spending till the the last week. Maybe you spread it out or you you, you do it earlier on. I I think so. I mean, I guess I I to me it, to me it, it's not a I don't I don't think the early voting you know limits the ability of people to run for office. Now it does change again the way you run campaigns. Historically, the, the thinking has always been you got to save your money for that that last week. But again, if you're talking about a lot of the local races, for example, that that are out there, well, there's not a lot of ad spending to begin with. I just think that, look, and I say this to Republicans, I say this to Democrats, the the more people participate in the system, the, the better. 
And, you know, maybe the, the message is if some Republicans are concerned about voter turnout, what you need to do is you need to get better at identifying your voters and, and take advantage of that, that mail-in stuff. Do, do what the Democrats do in Madison. Do what the Democrats do in Milwaukee, except figure out how to get more, um, voters perhaps to vote in, in Waukesha. And again, I'm not in, in, opposed to the in-person voting, but we want to make it easy for people to participate in the process. And and I guess I have not seen any evidence suggesting to me that there is any real reason to, again, go, go back. And I, and I don't know how you, you go back. What, what, what do you do? Do you say to, uh, again, the, the 18 year old Jeff Wagner who's away at college? No, you, you don't have an opportunity to, to vote, you know, where, where your, your permanent residence is. We're not going to let you do that. Do, do we say to people, no, you're, you're going to have to stand in line when we know that it's just a lot easier to do it. Now, like I say, I think that there are things that you can look at to, again, reduce the possibility for fraud. But let us be honest. There's not widespread evidence of any sort of systematic fraud. And I'm not denying that you might be able to find a situation here or there where the, the dead person voted because somebody else got there, was able to get their ballot and turned it in. But... <laughs> We want to encourage people to vote, don't we? 855-616-1620. Jeff, I am for mail-in voting. However, I think it should be printed right on the ballot that it must reach the office of the city or county clerk by 8 p.m. on Election Day. Make it clear that if it arrives any time after that, it will not be counted. Don't disagree with that. I think that's a reasonable thing. Um, Jeff, I believe this is a Wisconsin Republican response to election losses. Well, okay, let me stop there. I mean, Republicans actually did very, very well in the down-ballot races in November. Uh, do everything and anything to reduce voter turnout, knowing that getting less people to participate in the voting process means the Republican candidate will have a better chance of winning. Well, again, under the system that we had, Republicans did really, really well, except at the very top of the ticket where President Trump lost narrowly. Um, Jeff, in-person voting only creates obstacles that hurt essential workers and densely populated areas. I agree with photo ID and clear rules. Um, I, I do as well. Um, Jeff, stop calling yourself conservative. Who, why is voting so hard? Uh, why is voting in person so hard? Make people more comfortable? Um, you know, absent, you know, you're the one who, why make it so hard? Um, yes, there is fraud. You choose to ignore the truth. Well, okay. I, I look, I, I can't, I, I understand that there's some people that have their own delusions and, and want to hold on to these different thoughts and you can't rationalize somebody out of some, you can't reason somebody out of a position that they didn't reason themselves into. And I understand that these knee jerks that are out there, the knee jerk reactions that are out there, but the truth of the matter is, um, yes, by making it easier for people to vote, we allow more people to participate in the democracy. And and isn't that a good um, thing? Jeff, voting by mail is here to stay. I actually think it's going to be the preferred method in the next five to ten years. People um, are accustomed to election convenience. Unless it becomes a national holiday, it's here to stay and will continue to grow in popularity. Um, yes. Jeff, high voter turnout favors Democrats. Lower voter turnout favors Republicans. Of course, Republicans want to make it harder to vote. Well, you know, I understand that that's one of the tropes that's out there. It, it's not always the case. It, it's it's just not. The question is, which party is better? Who are the better candidates? And which party is better at getting their voters turned out? Um, you know, that's that's the bottom line of this. 
Um, so, Jeff, Republicans only do well because of massive gen- gerrymandering. Well, that's another story, but you know, you, you can hold on to that trope as well, uh, too. Bottom line is the vast majority of the state geographically is Republican. Then, you know, you've got the, the enclaves in Madison and in Milwaukee, and that's how the statewide races are turning out. Um, Jeff, greater access to voting equals more people voting equals better and fairer elections. Of course, make sure the systems are safe and verified, which by all current research, they are. Right. Um, Jeff, I don't see the harm in in-person voting it helps in early in-person voting it helps alleviate the long lines on election day um yes jeff i was waiting for your ideas of tinkering around the edges that would make early voting more fraud proof okay well i'm i'm not sure again that there's too much evidence showing that early voting leads to to fraud i i think the system we have works pretty darn well if you want to make it clear whether or not for example you could have people turning in votes um collecting votes like at a thing like democracy in the park if that's what gives people heartburn well okay you know then maybe you cancel events like that but as far as letting people vote by mail um it's just it's just the reality there it just is all right back with more in just a minute and by the way it's not going anywhere stick around this is jeff wagner this is jeff wagner on wgmj Texter says, Jeff, you, you always talk about how you love making an event out of voting in person. You know, you go out to dinner afterwards. It was a big deal. Yeah, I, I do. And then the texter says, well, making it easier doesn't make it better. Well, I, 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 it works for me. I, I love it. I love that in-person voting. But for a lot of people, it, it's, it makes it more difficult. And I want to make it easy for people to vote. And I want to win elections regardless of who we're arguing for based on the fact that hey this let's get people in let's argue our ideas let's convince people to vote for the best candidate and let's make it easy for them to vote welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj this week's sponsor for the jeff wagner home improvement showcase presented by great midwest bank is senior realtors bruce and gene nimovitz they are experts in senior real estate bruce's team is there from start to finish selling downsizing and so much more visit bruce's team.com group producing the show today and always you do not have hbo do you uh i do yeah hbo oh. max mm-hmm. well okay did you last night did you happen to watch they had the first episode they're, they're doing this four-part documentary on on Woody Allen right. and Mia Farrow, did you happen to watch that? Uh, not yet. It's on. It's on the list. It's a priority. It'll, it, it'll be watched sometime this week. It, it is. It is. It is really brutal, and it's one of these painful things to watch. Now, for for people who haven't been following this, and again, I I always they, they call it a documentary. Now, of course, you you have to understand that documentaries aren't aren't necessarily objective i mean look at making a murderer and this documentary that the people who did it were clearly they they believe that woody allen is a child molesting pervert and you know they got interviews with mia farrow and with dylan farrow who is the adopted daughter of woody allen who who claims that that he molested her uh, and, and so it, it's a very one-sided thing but it doesn't mean it's not really compelling and it's it for people who haven't watched this it was you know, woody allen is of course the famous director and he started at one point in time I, you know, dating mia farrow who was had been married to rosemary's baby and she'd been married to frank sinatra and she was married to andre previn and she had a a lot of children um 
in, including a number of adopted children. And it was it's it was, it was the whole thing is weird because they never got married, but they were together for years and years and they, they didn't live together. He they lived on opposite sides of Central Park in New York. And so he and he made it very clear he didn't want anything to do with the kids. And so he lives in his apartment building on one side of Central Park. She lives with all these kids on the other side, but they, they have this relationship. And and ultimately what happens is they end up adopting a couple of kids together and then they have one of their own. And it's, you, you just watch this. And again, I, I don't know where the, the truth of any of this is, but it's just, it's just, it's sort of mesmerizing television because you, you've got the, the girl, Dylan Farrow, who, who's out there. And this, this is like buttressed by sound bites from like depositions and things like that in home movies. And, you know, she's very, very clear that, you know, Woody Allen was molesting her um, going back to when they were a young child. And of course, you, you, this, it, it, the, the whole thing really comes to uh, really kind of breaks out in the open when Mia Farah goes over to, you know, his apartment one day and finds that he's taken all these nude photographs of her other one of her other adopted daughters who at the time was like 18 or 19 years old. And, of course, Woody Allen goes on to marry her. It's just the whole thing is just kind of bizarre. And I guess I, I my, my wife was watching it with me and about 10 minutes into it. She's like, this is just too weird for me. I, it, and it's I, I don't have a larger point other than it just I was kind of transfixed by this going, man, this is just this is just this lifestyle that you just don't. Thank, thankfully, thankfully, I do not understand it, but I, I do. I recommend this because, again, it's it's a warts and all sort of portrayal. And again, Woody Allen thinks that says this is hatchet job and it's not true, and he denies ever molesting uh, the, the the Dylan Farrow. But it's still you just kind of watch this and you go, wow. Um, all right, Woody Allen, of course, probably came to fame in the 60s and the 70s with a number of his movies. Something else that was big in the 60s and 70s was The Muppet Show. Now, you, you had the, the Muppets that, that started. Um, again, the, the, the Muppets are originally, they, they would make appearances on variety shows, and then they got their own movie. Jim Henson created the puppets, the Muppets, and you can remember like Kermit the Frog, and they were on Sesame Street and all that type of stuff, and they had their own movies and things like that. Well, the Muppet Show from the 70s is making a, a return, and Disney Plus... So the Muppet Show ran for five seasons between 76 and 81. This is their actual, you know, 30-minute TV show. Um, the Disney Disney Plus, the streaming channel, has now brought them back. And so they're, they're showing most of the, the Muppet Shows that existed. A couple of them, they're not airing mostly because they, they couldn't clear the music. That In other words, that they, you know, they, they didn't want to... There's big songs that are featured, and to rerun them at this point in time, they'd have to relicense the music, and they'd have to pay money for it, and they just didn't want to do that. So there's a handful of shows that aren't being rerun, mostly because of the music. There's one show from the fifth season where Richard Pryor was supposed to be the guest host, and Richard Pryor backed out at the last moment. So the show was hosted by one of the Muppet Show's writers, who subsequently went on to be convicted of child pornography in 2007. So they've taken that show off the air. But for the rest of the shows that are out there, they are they are airing them. But for a number of the shows, they are airing them with 
warnings with essentially um, the disclaimers. There's like 18 programs that they've singled out, and this is what the disclaimer says. This program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now. Rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark conversations to create a more inclusive feature uh future and so um this this disclaimer that runs there's all sorts of different reasons in one case johnny cash the late johnny cash the great singer he's singing and there's a confederate flag in the backdrop um in, in other cases they've looked at some of the skits they've done and they figured that they had stereotypical depictions of native americans middle easterners and people from other cultures all right our number 855-616-1620 that is the accurate mortgage talk and text line do we need to slam a warning label on on everything And who is it that gets to decide what may be stereotypical and what may be offensive? At some point in time, shouldn't we recognize shows from the past as as essentially time capsules and understand, okay, this is what people were laughing at in 1972, and and there it is. And we're going to put it out in this unvarnished fashion, and, and maybe... What you can do is you can compare it to, you know, what we what humor is right now, and, and you can make the the adjustments. Do we need to slap warning labels on things like the Muppets? And how far does that need to go? I mean, what, what do we do? If you watch TV in the 50s and 60s, you see a lot of these TV shows, people were smoking cigarettes all the time. Well, now we, we recognize that the last thing you want to do is encourage people to start smoking cigarettes. So do we have to edit these shows or put warnings, hey, there's cigarettes usage here, so be careful. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. They're not not showing the shows, and so that's good. But they're putting warning labels on all these things by trying to judge individual skits. Is that going too far? We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk up and, and Text Line. It, it is the, this this sort of hypocrisy, and again, it's it's now in the case of the Muppet Show. Disney is not airing. It's not like they're not airing the shows, with the exception of the one that that, that featured the guy who was convicted of child pornography in two thousand seven. But they are putting these disclaimers on there. So, okay, snowflakes out there don't have their sensibilities offended. Jeff, what about all the violent movies? with murders like John Wick, etc. Should we warn people that murder and violence is bad? I think Big Brother needs to leave the arts alone. Jeff, my kids have been watching The Muppets. They are ages 8 to 13. They recognize some of the aspects of the show are not how we see the world today. We've had some good discussions about what is funny and what isn't. It's been a good experience so far for my kids. Absolutely. And I'm just saying you you don't need to, you know, do this hand wringing and stuff and say, okay, well, this this is this is what was on the air in 1977. And, And think about think about some of the shows that people grew up with. And a number of people are making this point. 
Okay, think about Sanford's son with, with the, with the great red fox. I see that that's still on, you know, a couple, when I, you know, go through the guide, I see Stanford's son's there, uh, is on. You want to talk about a show that, that reflected stereotypes in the various characters. I mean, do we need to put a warning on Sanford and Son saying, okay, this was a popular show back then, um, but, but now it's, you, you wouldn't do a show like that today because of the stereotypes. Do we need to warn about that? Do we need to warn about Good Times, the, the show with, that made Jimmy Walker famous. Do you need to warn about, you know, all in the family? I mean, at what point in time do we simply say, you know, this is, you know, th- this is the, the stuff that's out there? Um, Jeff, I was watching a horror movie, Carrie. The gym teacher was smoking a cigarette in the principal's office. How times have changed. Jeff, as an adult, I recognize when watching a Perry Mason rerun that smoking is not just being encouraged. It's something that was happening all the time. Because the Muppets are for kids, though, I would appreciate the warning. Well, okay, what what, what are you going to end up doing with that? And again, I, I give them credit for running it. But at the same time, where do you end up drawing the line? And it's like, okay, this is Johnny Cash. Well, we, we can't show Johnny Cash singing because there's a Confederate flag in the background. Well, all right, how how are we going to sanitize stuff? And we've already been through this. The Dukes of Hazard can't show the Dukes of Hazard on some TV shows anymore because they drove around in the General Lee that had a Confederate flag on it. At some point in time, you know, do we end up needing to say, look, nothing, th- there's nothing out there that it, it we, we have to just recognize that these are our timepieces and then move on. It is interesting that um, you, you don't have warnings on stuff like The Simpsons. You, you don't have warnings on stuff like Family Guy and all that. Well, I mean, how can you, you want to talk about like stereotypes and things like that. How can you put a warning on the Muppets and then not have a warning on The Simpsons? Jeff, I mean, I, I think the answer is, you know, warning or not, watch it or not. Yeah, I think that would be my answer as well and who decides what what is the offensive joke and and what is not you know the symptom simpsons no longer i believe feature the character of apu who is the indian not the american indian but the indian indian who runs the convenience store all right so every time there is a simpsons rerun that that features apu do we need to put a warning on that saying hey this might be found to be offensive do you need every time there's a scene in the bar room at uh, Moe's Tavern? Do and you have some of the stereotypical, you know, overweight guys? Do we need to put a warning on that every time you've got the police chief Wiggum who's eating the donuts? Do you need to put a warning on that that these are stereotypes? I mean, you know, really, um, do we need this type of of stuff? Uh, with regard to how things are going to move forward and who gets to make that decision and you know where do you where do you draw the line jeff if people can't accept the disclaimer then don't watch the show well that's not the point the point is if we're going to do this for the muppets circa 1977 do we need to do it for everything and, and who who gets to decide this and if there's a need that oh my gosh somebody might see johnny cash singing in front of a fe- confederate flag so now we've got to put that warning on there or there might be a a joke or a stereotype of a person from this culture or that culture it seems to me you're you're probably not going to be able to run too many tv shows and very very few movies especially from the 50s 60s 70s 80s and probably a good portion of the 90s and maybe earlier without having these disclaimers why bother showing the shows at all
why don't we just like run nothing but disclaimers saying, hey, here, here's the deal. You know, everything before 2014, somebody somewhere is going to find offensive. So be warned and then decide whether you want to watch or not. Back with more in just a minute. Every 15 minutes, a baby is born with a congenital heart defect. All this month, please join our very own Greg Matzik as he teams up with the Children's Heart Foundation to help advance the diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of congenital heart defects. To find out how you can help, go to WTMJ.com or text the word CARES to the Acunet Mortgage Talk Text Line at 855-616-1620. WTMJ CARES, powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum and sponsored by Professional Construction, Inc. I don't know if it's going to be the the trial of the century, but I know it's going to be a trial that's going to get a lot of national attention. And the way the way the parties are proceeding, particularly the defense, kind of just makes me roll my eyes. Um, Kyle Rittenhouse, who is the 17-year-old, now 18-year-old, who is charged with two counts of murder and one other count of, you know, in- intentionally injury, you know, serious bodily injury. He's the guy that, that showed up the third night of the protests in Kenosha with the rifle and ended up shooting and killing two people and seriously injuring a third. His his defense is that it was self-defense and he was being attacked by the mob. The case is scheduled to go to trial sometime in, in March, and it's one that elicits very strong opinions on both sides. Some people view Kyle Rittenhouse as being the, this victim and have donated a whole bunch of money to his defense fund. Other people view him as this out-of-control white supremacist who went there looking to to shoot protesters. The truth is probably somewhere in between, as it often is. We'll, we'll talk more about the trial once it kicks off next month is when it's scheduled. But the tactics that the defense are using kind of difficult for me to understand. Uh, the defense has decided to take a very, very public approach in trying to attack the, the prosecution. I'm just looking, for example, you know, one of the spokespeople, you know, went on an Internet radio show, goes after the assistant district attorney, calling him a prosecute, the prosecutor, a liar and a fraud, unethical, dishonorable, dishonest. Some of the most morally offensive, constitutionally offensive conduct I've seen from a prosecutor in my life. The guy is at the bottom of the gutter when it comes to ethics and constitutional concerns. All right. That, that's pretty strong talk. And I guess, see, the bottom line is one of, one of the pieces of advice that I, I would always give people as a, you know, recovering lawyer is it, it's just going out of your way to try to antagonize the, the prosecution is, as a general rule, never, ever a good strategy. Now, I understand in the Rittenhouse case, what they're trying to do is sway public opinion in his favor, maybe try to make it more difficult to get a, a jury pool, and frankly, raise money by, by appealing to you know certain constituencies, oh, this, the prosecution is terrible, we're going to go after him. But as far as an overall trial strategy, it seems to me that both the defense and to a lesser extent the prosecution, but primarily defense, would be much better suited to just just kind of dial it down because for every person that hears this sort of stuff and might be inclined to send 50 bucks to the Rittenhouse Defense Fund, there's probably five or ten other people that hear it, kind of roll their eyes and think, yeah, this is kind of over the top. I'm waiting for the judge to impose a gag order, which candidly I think I would have done 
a long time ago, just saying, look, we're not going to have any more public comments about the trial by by the various parties, period, because we want to get we want to try the best to get an unbiased jury. And then we want to go have the trial. So I'm waiting for the judge to slap a gag order on both sides until he does, though, this stuff is going to continue. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is a jerk thing to do, and I don't believe people should be able to do it. All right, now, I don't care whether it's Joe Biden that's the president or Donald Trump that's the president or Barack Obama or George Bush or Bill Clinton. I think at some point in time, there has to be some sort of public standard with regard to things. Here, here, here is the story. And by the way, profane references in public to presidents is nothing new. Um, you know, if you the the response over the last four years to Donald Trump, you know, you'd see signs and things that, that there, there were really like no standards that were out there. And that is unfortunately continuing with Joe Biden. Here, here's the story. Apparently, you can go on Amazon and, and I only know this third party because I have not gone on my Amazon account account and, and put this in because I, I don't want to be getting solicitations. But you can for not that much money. You can buy flags, and the flags say things like, um, well, it would be the F word, and then it would be applied to Biden. So blank Biden. And then there's one apparently that says in smaller t- type, it says, and blank you for voting for him. Okay, you, you can buy these flags on, on Amazon, and apparently lots of people are buying these flags on Amazon. So the, the story that I'm looking at comes from Connecticut, but there's similar stories um, out of Michigan and, and actually kind of all over the country. So the one I'm looking at is there's a guy in, there's actually two guys within like a half a mile of each other that live in a small community in Connecticut. And in their front yard, they've got a big American flag that's flying. And then beneath the big American flag, they've got this big flag that they've purchased from Amazon. And it says, again, big capital letters, blank Biden. And then, you know, other stuff and blank you for voting for him. All right. So uh, you, you have a lot of people. And now these are these are on main streets. And so this is publicly displayed. So you have kids that are driving past and their parents in the car. You have people that are walking past. There's a story about how apparently somebody has erected one of these flags that says something like this. You, you get the idea um, a- along a fence and they live next to a school. So, you know, all the parents that are dropping off the school kids, you know, the parents drive by and, and there's there is <sighs> There are these flags or banners or whatever that are displayed, you know, again, displaying the the obscenity that's there. And I mean, I I understand why you don't like Joe Biden. I understand why some people didn't like Donald Trump. I understand why some people didn't like Barack Obama. But at the same time, you, you are now looking at the complete and total breakdown of civility and you have these different displays. So the story I'm looking at talks about how all these people in the community are complaining about the, these giant flags. And it and again, it's not so much the anti-Biden sentiment as the the obscenities that are being used. And the police captain in this little Connecticut town says, hey, um, look, we, we understand it's a problem. Neighborhood kids, 
students passing on school buses. But, you know, we, we talk to the state's attorney's office and they say, well, you've got an absolute First Amendment right to display these vulgarities and these obscenities. And there's there's nothing that we can do uh, about this. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, this is coming from the perspective of somebody who makes his living, you know, every day under the umbrella of the First Amendment and the concept of, of free speech. So I appreciate the value to that. But does that mean that we no longer have any standards a- at all? Does that mean that the rest of the community has no right to say, all right, buddy, you know, if, if you don't like Joe Biden, that's great. If you don't like Donald Trump, that's great. If you don't like Barack Obama, that that's great. But at some point in time, there's got to be a limit on on at least in these public forums, you know, what you should say or do. Do the parents, for example, of the school kids that walk past the school every day or drive past the school every day to get their kids there, I mean, do do they have any rights as well to say, okay, there's this giant banner that says, you know, blank Biden or blank Trump or whatever. I'm trying to take the politics out of this. Uh, do, does, does the community have any right at all to set a community standard where you say, you know what, this, even if I agree with the sentiment, even if I think this is kind of crude, but nevertheless clever, that, you know, it's not appropriate to be displayed in public in this particular fashion. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I mean, let, let's even make it more personal. Let's say in your particular neighborhood, you know, your your neighbor, you know, you, you've got your three kids at home and the neighbor across the street, you know, feels the way this guy feels about Biden. Again, to me, it's not whether it's Biden or Trump or whatever. It's the general principle feels the way that this guy in the story I'm telling you about feels about Biden, erects the giant flagpole. And you've got this giant flag so that every time your kids walk out of the house, you know, they're they're looking at this flag that has the obscenity on it. I mean, do you have any rights? 855-616-1620, should you have any rights? And my answer is, have we, yeah, I understand the First Amendment, but does that mean we completely throw out any community standards? And my answer would be, I hope not. We're back to discuss in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, aren't there sign ordinances or some other such lever to use? Apparently not. Um, how are the airways regulated? Well, there's very strict rules on, on at least the over the air type of broadcasting that's you know licensed by the FCC that that I do that says you you can't use these words. You know, it, it's different when you come to cable shows and things like that. Um, Jeff, I agree with you completely. Um, however, I don't know how things like that would be enforced. Would there be a fine, etc.? Now, again, this is also. They're not part of a homeowners association. I mean, if you live in a condo complex, for example, you know they've got they have all sorts of rules with regard to what you can display. In this case, the guy is just a homeowner. People have bought these flags on on Amazon. They contain the obscenities, and I just the idea that the First Amendment paralyzes people from being able to 
I don't have some degree of community standard. And I, I mean, I don't want to stop the guy from expressing what he thinks about Joe Biden, but at the same time, or Donald Trump or Barack Obama or whatever, but at the same time, I mean, if you live in a neighborhood and you've got somebody that's got kids across the street, should they have to, every time they walk into and out of the house, should they have to look at some giant flag that has a mass of obscenities on it? Let's talk to Sabrina in West Dallas. Good afternoon. Afternoon. So this is a really, like you said, it's a really weird subject because we're allowed to have freedom of speech. But I've got four kids of my own, and they don't, like, one of them who's eight knows how to read, and they can fully read something like that. I guess it would be the city to make ordinances. The city that the guy lives in needs to make ordinances, or they need to research the ordinance to find out what exactly are their boundaries there. But here's the thing. This is what I tell my kids all the time. when they're always in everybody else's business, I mean, like, worry about yourself. And that it just goes to show, like, him, those vulgarities that he's, you know, expressing to everybody, cool, you're expressing your opinion, but it just goes to show who you are as a person if you think that's okay living in a neighborhood with children. Well, right, right. And, and I mean, and again, I I, I understand it's one thing for grown-ups, but even as grown-ups. I mean, I, I don't know about you, Sabrina, but I don't... I'm thinking about, I mean, now I live in a condo complex. Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, I don't want to, you know, as, as, look, I, I'm a big boy. I've heard that word. I've used that word. I admit it from time to time. But that doesn't mean that every time I want to leave my house or have people come over, you've got the crazy neighbor across the street that's got the sign that's got all the, the different obscenities on it. And, and I guess, I mean, I often say that just because you have a right to do something, it doesn't mean you have the right to do it. I, I'm not it, that it's the right thing to do. I'm not even convinced that you should necessarily have the right to display these giant fashions, these public obscenities. Doesn't the community have a right as well? Exactly. Like, I think it's like the community needs to come together, too. If it's if it's bad and they don't want to see that, I think that it's, you know, the community's job to use their freedom of speech to come forward and be like, hey, look, as a community, we don't want to see this. We want this voted off like we want this gone. And then they need to change community standards to get that out of the neighborhood. Right. And and maybe maybe the way you do that is by, again, passing an ordinance that just restricts all flags but the american flag i you know it, it i mean see this is this is the problem that's out there i guess if, if you're going to allow flags to be there well maybe you can't uh, discriminate based on content although again i i'm not sure i necessarily buy that Th- this idea of the, the idea of no community sort of standards at all. And look, and I, I appreciate that people hear somebody saying, well, people or kids know that word. Well, okay, maybe the kids know that word or not. But I mean, if that's your kid who's seven years old, I mean, do you want to, should you be forced by your community, by the guy that's living across the street who thinks this is clever or feels really strongly about this, that he wants to be in your face. And again, I want to take the politics out of it because there there have been similar things. I'm sure there were lots of similar stuff, you know, when 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 Trump was the president a, as well. So th- this is this is nothing new. But at the same time, aren't, aren't, shouldn't we be better than this? I mean, really, you know, the guy, the, the, and he's very proud of it. And the story I'm looking at, the guy who has one of these signs, that one of these flags up, yeah, said it's best best 30 bucks I, I ever spent because, you know, people are, are talking about this. And, I, again, one of the things I always say is, just like I, I tell people, 
who think that there's no such thing as bad publicity. Well, that means you've never had bad publicity. Just because people are talking about it doesn't mean that necessarily people are on your side. Jeff, as an independent voter, it appears that people that display this type of language have decided that their will and antics are greater than the interest of the community at home. Jeff, there was a time when companies would never have allowed a product with that language to be sold. Jeff, license plates are are censored. Yeah, but of course, license plates are issued by the state, whereas this is the guy's own private property. Um, Jeff, we've come a long way since George Carlin, haven't we? I was doing a com- I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and I I was at Summerfest. The, the night that George Carlin did that routine about the seven words that you can't say on TV or in Milwaukee, as it turned out. And yes, we have come a long way from George Carlin. And I'm not sure that I'm not sure that that's necessarily a positive um, thing. Jeff, there's one of those flags in Sockville right next to the elementary school. I saw this in the fall as we were traveling to a high school cross country meet. Yeah, really? Um, Jeff, I agree with you on the flag issue. I'm hoping our country can return to civility and decorum. In saying that, though, what about all the clothing, posters, etc., saying horrible statements about the police, military, and anybody with conservative thoughts? It needs to be both ways. Oh, yeah, it definitely needs to be both ways. And that's kind of the launching point on it. On the other hand, if you want to wear a T-shirt that, that has some vulgar or vile saying, that I think that's different then displaying this flag that people really that are driving on the public streets have no way to see it, have have no way to avoid seeing it. And by the way, I understand it is a slippery slope. I mean, I'm the guy who's arguing, gee, you know, when we've got this cancel culture, where do we draw the line? You know, and I talk a lot about the new McCarthyism and this whole idea that the cancel culture is taking stuff over. At the same time, I see a clear distinction between... I don't know, gee, we, we shouldn't allow this person to work because they are expressing conservative ideas versus let's hang up a big banner on our house next to the school that has every obscenity that we can think of and claim we're able to do it because it's protected speech. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. The largest vaccine rollout of our time is underway as we aim to put the COVID-19 pandemic in our collective rearview mirror. Join John McCure this Thursday at 4 o'clock for a special WTMJ roundtable, Vax Facts. He'll be joined by Dr. John, John Raymond of the Medical College of Wisconsin to help answer your questions about the vaccine. Want to hear your question on the air? Well, give us a call, 414-203-8105. And don't forget to join us at 4 o'clock this Thursday for a special WTMJ roundtable, Vax Facts, sponsored by Dave Drakamp Heating. You know, one of the the frustrating things about the, the vaccine, the, obviously the slow vaccine rollout, and I, I understand that we're we're in uncharted territory, but it's part of the the frustration that nobody really knows stuff for sure. For example, um, I I know somebody who had had COVID, recovered from COVID, still has the antibodies, got the got one of the vaccines within the last like week and a half. They're qualified in jump line or anything like that, and had a, a really not good reaction to the, the first dose. And I'm not talking about in the hospital heart attack or anything, but you know, got the first dose of the vaccine. We knew that they had antibodies, 
got the first dose of the vaccine, really, really nauseous, you know, throwing up the night they got it, bad headache the next day, and um, then, then a rash. You know, now it all, it all went away and stuff, but they're scheduled to get the next vaccine in like two and a half weeks. Well, now there's the, the stories that are out there saying, okay, if you had COVID before, maybe all you need is one dose. And that's what the new studies are suggesting that if you've got the, if you've had COVID, so you've already got the antibodies, that that one shot kind of juices the antibodies and essentially you get the same protection as if you would have gotten the second shot. Because I, I will tell you, the person I know, a little bit reluctant to get that second shot because they were sick after the first one. Everybody says that the, the second one is the one that makes you even sicker. So if you're sick after the first one, what do you do? And as the person I know, you know, sent a note off to the doctor and it's a decision that they'll, they'll end up making. But now, you know, you've got this information, the data is suggesting that if you got the antibodies, maybe you only need one shot. You want to try to do the right thing, but sometimes you don't know exactly what the right thing is to do. Um, and again, it's, it's a difficult sort of decision. It's one of the frustrating things because the, the advice keeps changing or it may in fact keep changing. So you're trying to, you're trying to follow the guidelines. You're trying to do what's right for you. But at the same time, you don't want to just blindly do stuff if it's going to make you sick. Don't know how this is going to play out. I will say it's good news on many, many fronts that for people who've already had COVID, if in fact, you know, one dose essentially gives you the same protection as two, that's good because you don't need to take that second dose if that's true. And secondly, it frees up more of the vaccine for other people. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Joe Biden already facing a crisis. Now, th- this isn't really making a lot of news because we, we, of course, you have people in the mainstream media who don't want to write a lot of stories painting Joe Biden as having problems with the administration. But there is a huge crisis at the border and Biden's got to decide Does he just let people who are trying to come into this country go? And if not, what do you do? Here is the deal. And and my answer would be, Joe, you can't let them just go. Here's the deal. As a centerpiece of of Biden's plans, part of he was trying to do this as part of his covid package. But I don't think it's going to happen. What he wants to do is he wants to create a pathway to citizenship for the 11 million plus people who are in this country illegally. Now, I, I am opposed to this. Not because I necessarily think that you can deport 11 million people. You, you can't. But it's to me, it's the idea of citizenship. I think if you want to create a pathway to a legal residency, a permanent legal residency, that, that, that's fine. And, and so what you need to do is you need to like, for example, you know, look at the dreamers, the people that, you know, came into the country when they were five years old, when their parents brought them here. They've been here illegally, but they've been here for the last 25 years. They're working. They're contributing to society. I, I think the idea that we're going to spend resources that we don't have trying to uh, deport them, I, I just that that's not going to happen in, in the real world. We don't have those resources. Now, does that mean that they should become citizens? Well, that's a whole different story. Does it mean that they should perhaps become permanent residents? All right, you know, after they, you know, dot all their I's and cross their T's. Okay, I'm open to the idea of permanent residency. But here is the problem that comes with all this. Let's say that number is 11 million. And whether it's permanent residency or citizenship or whatever, 
we have to recognize that that doesn't work if you can't control the borders. If today there's 11 million people in the country illegally that you're thinking about trying to figure out a way to let them become citizens, okay, well, what happens if next year there's now 15 million and the year after that there's now 20 million and essentially you become one of the few countries in the world that has just like open borders and that is starting to play out on the border now. Uh, during the, the Trump administration, you can agree or you can disagree, but the number of illegal border crossings w- was down because um, you, you had people weren't allowed to come into the country for as- uh, claiming asylum. You know, they were forced to stay in Mexico. You have um, a policy for unaccompanied children where they were. Remember, you, you had all these things. All these unaccompanied kids are being, you know, held in cages and things like that. But but the Trump administration was very, very serious about cracking down on it. Since Donald Trump has left and since Joe Biden has taken over, what you are seeing is a huge problem at the border as First of all, the number of unaccompanied children start pouring in. Um, in January, about 6,000 children arrived by themselves at the border alone. You know, that was up um, about 1,000 from before. What they're saying is the child welfare centers are already full. If you look at the numbers, what they're seeing is that because the Biden administration is changing the rules on asylum, this is encouraging people to believe, hey, we can come into this country. We're going to overwhelm the system. We'll come in. They're not going to be able to figure out ways to hold us. We will be released into the United States, and there we'll sit. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is a tough Issue And it's a tough situation for the Biden administration because I just don't believe you you can have open borders. You can't even begin to talk about a path to citizenship or a path to legal residency for people that have been in this country for 10 or 15 years if you can't control what is going on on the border. And like I say, if all of a sudden you've got another million people that want to pour in and expect the same thing to happen to them. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, or or should we? I mean, should we just open up the borders once and for all? I mean, the idea is America is this melting pot. We are, you know, we are this country that was founded by immigrants. If you have people that are fleeing Central America because of persecution or because of economic conditions and they can get to the United States, should we be saying no? And if it means that that number of people in this country grows illegally grows from 11 million to 15 million or 20 million or 25 million, should we care about that? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is yes, we should care. And you can't get meaningful immigration reform, something that, you know, in some way, shape, or form, I don't oppose. But you can't get it unless you get control of the border. And it seems like we're back to a situation where we're losing control of the border and we're only six, seven weeks into the Biden administration. I think it's only going to get worse. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, we should keep Trump's policies on this, but Biden won't eat crow. 
Um, what's going to happen with California, Texas, and Arizona? Well, that's that is you know a, an issue. Um, Okay, Jeff, I was born and raised in the United States, so I do feel that my opinion is somewhat one-sided. However, I do have friends and acquaintances who became U.S. citizens lawfully. wonder what their opinion on the matter of people entering the country illegally and possibly opening up their borders. Jeff, let them in. The country is a melting pot. They add to the economy. They do jobs Americans are too snobby to do. Let them in. Now, I, I don't know that there's any country any developed country that has a completely and totally open borders policy. Because when you say, let let them in, what you mean is, all right, we are now going to figure out ways that we're going to accommodate millions and millions of people who are going to be arguably putting a strain on the social services system, et cetera, et cetera. But that, there is that attitude. Let them in. Jeff, I say do not let them stroll in. I'm Puerto Rican, and even though I'm a U.S. citizen, I say no. If they do it in a legal way and follow, laws are put into place for a reason. Jeff, I'm an employer who's been operating a business that's been understaffed for almost eight years. We desperately need more labor. Why do you think immigrants are going to overwhelm the system? We have a labor shortage. Okay, well, that, that all right, explain to me then how the, the person from Central America that, that, that comes in and ends up in Galveston, Texas, explain how they're going to end up in, I don't know, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I mean, yes, it's, it's, it's really easy to say this if you don't live uh, on the border and you don't live in one of the border states. I mean, seriously. Here's the numbers, just to let you know what's what's going on. I I just pulled up a story out of the Wall Street Journal the other day. In January, U.S. Border Patrol agents arrested 7,260 people traveling as families. That's up from 4,500 in December. Well, what, what happened between December and January? Oh, you have a new president. The last time so many migrant families were arrested was December of 2019. So you've got to go back at least a year for that. And see, what happens with the families is that they, if, you, if you're traveling with kids, you can't just send them back. You, you can't just send them back on the other side of, of the border because a recently passed Mexican law says that returning migrant families have to be housed in government shelters and the shelters are full with capacity. So what that means is once you get into the United States, especially with kids, once the, the facilities in the U.S. are filled up, what happens then is you have to try to find aid places to, to put the, the folks, and then they just kind of disperse into the country. All I'm saying is that you, you've got to control the borders before you're in a situation of being allowed to just take large numbers of, of new people. Because if the idea is, okay, we want to figure out a way for the country to assimilate the, the people that have been in this country for, for years and are presumably working, et cetera, et cetera. That's all well and good. Like I say, it doesn't matter whether it's a path to citizenship or it's a path to legal residency. You figure out a way, okay, let's let's legitimize and figure out a way that we can do it. Let's legitimize those folks that are here. But if all of a sudden you're, you're talking about adding, doubling that number over the space of two or three years, explain to me about how the country is going to handle it. And for everybody who says, oh, we're, we're just, just open arms. Let's just let this all come in. Let's let anybody who wants to you know, come in. Well, that, that's all well and good. But then you're going to have to explain how we are going to take care of all the people that are just pouring in. And yes, 
Some of them will probably get jobs doing jobs that Americans don't want. Fine. That's all well and good. But what are you going to do with the millions of others? Where is that going to come from? And at some point in time, doesn't a country have a right to enforce its borders? And I will tell you, most countries in the world already do this. Jeff, if they let millions of people into the country, they come with nothing other than their backpack. Where will they live? How will they eat? Is the government going to pay for all that? Well, yeah, that's exactly you know, what's going on? Jeff, the minute Biden got in, the caravan started again. Well, sure, be- because this was a priority. And again, I I, I get where, where this is all going on. This was a centerpiece of Trump's presidency, saying, OK, we're going to try to impose border security. And you can argue that some of the things that Trump did with regard to that were, were wrong, concentrating on trying to build a wall and stuff like that. But if Biden is serious about trying to get immigration reform for the people that are in the country, you, you can't have it both ways. You're not going to be able to get that done unless you are able to at least have some sense of border security. And that's that's going away, just going away, um, you know, consistently um, about this. Um, uh, Jeff, what are you, Jeff, during this pandemic? What, what are you talking about, Jeff? During the pandemic, we cannot afford to open the borders. Well, that's you know, that's one of the other issues that are out there as well. You know, how can you allow thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people to come into this country when we're still trying to deal with COVID-19. You know, what, you know, what, what's the deal? What happens if some of the people that have come into the country get sick and then spread it to other people? How do you divvy out the vaccines? All those, all those are really good reasons as to why now is not the time to open the borders. Um, Jeff, our population is shrinking. We need immigrants. Okay. I'm not opposed to immigration. What I am opposed to is unrestricted, uncontrolled, illegal immigration. One of the things that Biden is looking at doing, for example, is perhaps revising some of the limits that the Trump administration put on the the visas for foreign workers and exchange workers. I think that's fair. I think it's fair to say, hey, look, you know, in the Wisconsin Dells, they have to bring in people from, again, other countries to, to do this work. That That's fine. But that's legal immigration. That's not just anybody who wants to, who can figure out a way to get to the border, let them in and let them go. And I guess if you don't understand the distinction between that, you need to spend some time down at the border. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. He's become a, a very, very divisive figure in the American culture now. And, and, and clearly more people like him than don't like him. But I was watching the, the Sunday morning talk shows yesterday, and it, it seems like Anthony Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, it seems like it, there's never been a TV interview that the guy has, has turned down. And if I were President Biden, I think I, I might be getting to the point where I start to pull him back a little. Now, here, here's, here's part of the problem, and it, we don't know yet 
when we're going to be able to return to normal. We we don't know, you know, what's going on with COVID. Remember, in the very beginning of COVID, they, they said you don't wear masks. And and then the, the science changed 60 or 90 days later. And and I, I don't fault people for that. It's just that we, we didn't understand about the transmission of the virus. But, you know, Dr. Fauci, who I believe is well-intended, has had a great, you know, career, but it seems to me that any time there's a chance to be on TV, the guy takes it. And what happens is, whenever he goes on TV, it, it's one step back, two steps, you know, one step forward, two steps back. For example, he was making the rounds of the TV shows over the weekend, and they said, okay, when are we going to get back to normal? And now... Now he said, well, I, I, we just, we just really don't know, but now I think we're going to have to make people wear face masks still into 2022. And, and that, of course, freaks people out who are looking at, you know, other doctors who say, hey, maybe we're going to have herd immunity by April and, and maybe we'll be back to some sense of normal by the summer, which is what Fauci said at, at some point in time. The problem is, again, and I, I don't think there's any ill will on part of people, but a lot of this are opinions of folks. It changes on a regular basis. It might change every couple of days based on, on the data. You know, early on in the program, you know, we were talking about how now there's all these new studies that are out that suggest that if you've had COVID, you're definitely supposed to get the vaccine, but that maybe by getting one dose of the vaccine, you get almost all the protection as if you'd go ahead and get a second dose. And for people who've had adverse reactions to the first dose of the vaccine, well, that that's good news. If 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 it's 92% effective, if you've had COVID and you get one shot versus 95% effective, well, then maybe you want to decide whether you want to get the second shot, if that's what the science ends up saying. And the other good news about that is it would free up that second dose of vaccine that would be going to you to free up to give to somebody else. So that, that's all good stuff, but they don't know that, you know, and, and we don't know that yet. And so you've got all this speculation. And so when, when Anthony Fauci goes on TV on a regular basis and starts talking about, well, okay, now I, I think we're going to have normal by the summer, or we think we're going to have normal by the fall, and then, well, I think we're still going to be wearing masks in 2022. You know, maybe he's right, but but maybe he's wrong, and maybe he just doesn't know. And I guess I, I think it's this not knowing that is very, very frustrating to people, and it's the fact that you have so many people, scientists, that are willing to kind of pontificate and, and offer opinions, you know, every couple of days that end up being contradictory or changing based on the fact that the, the data changes or, or whatever, which which I understand. But maybe maybe the better way to handle this from the psyche of a public who's already suffering from covid fatigue who, who looks at this thing and says, okay, you know, really? I mean, we, we might have to be wearing masks into 2022. And, and maybe that's the case. And maybe we will have to be wearing masks into 2022. But maybe, I don't know, maybe by the summer, you know, you'll, you'll have people being able to go to baseball games and there will be this sort of sense of return to normalcy. We don't know how it plays out. And the, the ideas as to how it plays out is just going to be purely speculation. And every time you have a, a doctor, and I, I, I use Fauci as the example, and it's, I'm, I, but there, there's other doctors as well. Every time they come out and they offer an opinion and then they change that opinion a week later, again, based on new data or information or whatever, and they end up giving contradictory a- advice, it just, I, I think what it does is it spreads 
it, it spreads the fact of and frustration among the average person. So maybe the response should be when when asked, okay, when are we going to get to normal? It should be, well, we're not sure. You know, we've got positive trends that are going on here. More and more people are getting vaccinated. We're rolling things out. We're moving towards that immunity. But we don't know. We don't know if it's going to be in June. We don't know if it's going to be in September. We don't know how fast the vaccinations are going to get out. We don't know any of these things instead of, well, I think it's going to be the summer. Well, no, I think it's going to be the fall. Well, I think it's going to be another year. I mean, maybe just stick to the facts Stay away from all the different predictions, especially when you're going to be contradicting what you said maybe a week or two ago. And and maybe that's more like leveling with the general public. Just stick to the facts. Move away from the predictions. Is that too much to ask? Maybe it is. All right. When we come back, a lot of great stuff. New poll out. President Trump, former President Trump, not going gently into the good night. Lincoln statues in Chicago and schoolhouse names in San Francisco. There's a follow-up to that. And will newspapers exist five years from now? Stick around. It's all coming up. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, yesterday I was in the largest crowd that I have been in Certainly since the, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it was it, it was just amazing. And I know there's a lot of businesses that are struggling. Well, I, I identified one business yesterday that, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm telling you, they, they couldn't have dealt with more people than they could. Would you like to guess what that business was? I'm going to guess Home Depot. No, uh, no, Ski Hill. Here, here, oh, okay. Here, here, I, I am not a, a skier, and, and to begin with, and since I messed up my foot, I'm about to, about, about 80%, but I, I'm not going to be on a snowboard or a ski. But... Um, my wife had really, because of COVID, because of all the stuff, she really, she does stuff with her, her kids and her, her grandkids all the time. And so it's really been curtailed. So what we did yesterday is we made arrangements to take her two daughters and the, the, each one of them have two grand, two kids or the, our grandkids. And so we took them out to little Switzerland, which oh, is like so this nice. ski thing in, out on Slinger. And I had actually been there. I'd been past there. So, you know, we're going to meet there and all. So we go out there. The place. <laughs> was yeah. absolutely bat crap crazy. Well, I mean, it was think just... Think about it. Yeah, temperatures are pretty good, and the snow, we've gotten a ton of snow. Right, exactly. Yeah, and yesterday was really like the first day you would do it. So, I mean, there were... The, the regular parking lot was full. The overflow parking lot was full. It was... And they do. I was really, really impressed because they have this, I mean, they have this system. Because, I mean, most people, I don't want to say most people, but a lot of people don't have their skis and boots and stuff. So they have this system for, you You can rent skis, you can rent, you know, um, again, the, the boots that you need. You can rent, you can get all the helmets and all. And I was just kind of watching this thing. And I, I, I was looking for, for all the people who are, like, concerned about, like, the, the COVID rollout. You should watch the way they did it at the ski hill. I mean, it was just absolutely amazing the, the way they got people in and out because they have to do it because it's a I mean, if, if you're not going to make money on a day like yesterday, you're it's never going to make money. For them, oh, yeah. yeah. Do they do, um, I was thinking of something that you could have done. Do they do like uh, inner tubes? Didn't see inner tubes. <laughs> I saw they had, they had snowboards and they, oh, but I, I, trust trust me, on my best day, I don't think I'm going down a hill. Yeah. But well, I'm, just I'm a certainly, I'm, I'm certain as I'm kind of like limping around. <laughs> it was more like as I'm, I'm walking through the snow. But it was just, yeah. it was just, I mean, this place was absolutely packed. So one of the things that that tells me is that, um, once we come out of this, 
I just think there's this incredible pent up uh, mode. And, and I mean, look, th- this is a great thing because it's outside. You know, they, they've got these rules that say you're supposed to wear masks when you go inside to the restaurant and stuff. But I mean, you're outside. You're the, you're you're socially distanced on the chairlifts and the rope lines and There's stuff. There's fresh air. Right. Um, exactly. Here's Jeff Sunburst ski area in Kewaskum was jam packed yesterday as well. It was just I, it was kind of interesting to me because. Uh, again, after we got the kids and stuff set up and Fran was, you know, watching them come down the hills <laughs> and things like that, I, I went into the bar and went up and just had yeah. a drink. But I, I, I mean, I was just watching all the people pouring in there and stuff. And I mean, I, I couple thousand at least maybe more it was just amazing what the turnout was you know during the pandemic if you're a business and you don't have a plan of action obviously they have a system that's really working for them and it also works because it's an outdoor activity golf has been very popular in the pandemic as well right outside and right you know oh yeah no um the you know the the place where i play golf rounds were i mean dramatically up last year just just dramatically up and i think they figure it's going to be the same this year you get a lot of people back to playing golf oh People are just craving to be in an activity or do something that's not inside in your home. Right. Now, well, in any event, if you want to know, if you want to know where people were yesterday, they, they were out at these different ski hills and stuff, and everybody was having a lot of fun. Okay. There is a new poll out, Suffolk University, USA Today. And I understand that whenever you say poll, sometimes people roll their eyes. But it, it, this is whether you believe, well, actually, the question is, do you believe this is is accurate? Here's the story. The headline, exclusive, defeated and impeached. Trump still commands the loyalty of the GOP voters. What they did is they surveyed 1,000 Trump voters identified from the 2020 polls. The poll was taken by landline and cell phone last week. What they found is that by double digits, 46% to 27%, those surveyed, those surveyed said they would abandon abandon the Republican Party and join the Trump Party if the former president decided to create one. Uh, these poll respondents expressed stronger loyalty to Trump, the person, 54 percent, than they did to the Republican Party that twice nominated him for the White House, 34 percent. But the, the bottom, the takeaway of this is, one out of every two Trump voters says that if Trump creates a third party, they're bailing on the Republicans and they're going to go with Trump. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't believe this. A- at the end of the day, I do not believe this. Now, I believe that maybe of the people that, that they got, Maybe this is what the answers they gave are. But I do not believe that almost one out of every two people would say, we are going to abandon the Republican Party, Republican voters or whatever, and we're going wherever Donald Trump tells us to go. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you think these numbers are true? If, for example, next Sunday when President Trump appears at the Conservative Political Action Committee meeting to give his speech, if he says, I'm forming a third party, do you really believe that one out of every two voters is going to bail on the Republicans and go with him? I don't buy it. I just flat don't believe it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you? Would you? If Trump says, I'm leaving the Republican Party, I'm creating the Trump Party, 
Are you going with Trump? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so there's a new poll out by USA Today. And again, I understand you roll your eyes when you hear a poll, but I think it's an interesting number. So they they poll 1,000 people who voted for Donald Trump in November of 2020. 46% say they would abandon the Republican Party and join a Trump party if the former president decided to create one. 27% say no, and the balance, the other 27% are undecided. They're, they're undecided. So that's, if you believe that, that's about three quarters of the, the people who say they voted for Trump who say that they would either definitely follow Trump to a Trump party or they'd at least think about it. 855-616-1620. I just, I can't, I can't believe that, that those are, are those numbers. As a matter of fact, I don't believe that those are those numbers. And I think that as we get further and further away from the election, I, I think Former President Trump's influence wanes. Jeff, the poll turned out that way because Trump did what he said he was going to do when other GOP leaders don't. Regardless, if Trump starts a third party, the amount of votes, uh, it'll help the Democrat Party. Even if he got 100 percent of his supporters to switch, 75 million people, he would still lose. Um, Jeff, what a great thing this would be for Democrats. He would destroy the Republican vote, never get enough votes for himself to become president again, and ensure Democrats will win the next election for sure. Jeff, let me add to that list. I say Trump 2024. It's one of our texters. Uh, Jeff, I do believe it, and it's why I said the Republican Party is over. People will split between the Trump and the Republican Party, giving Democrats control for a long time. Unfortunately, here comes socialism. Um, all right, let's see. Jeff, you better wake up. Trump has a brainwashed following. His supporters will do whatever he says. Haven't seen like something like this in a long time, but this has happened in history before. Um, I don't know. All right, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I believe the poll. Avid Trump supporters will follow him off a cliff. There is no changing their minds either. I have tried. Jeff, I believe the numbers would be higher than 50% if they did a poll anywhere other than Madison or Milwaukee in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, Jeff, I believe the GOP voters will leave for a third Trump party. It's a cult. I've lost friends because I believe they're brainwashed by Trump. It is frightening. Jeff, I left the Republican Party because of of Trump. Jeff, sounds about right. Already more than half of the Republicans in Congress and state legislatures will follow Trump off the edge of the earth. Jeff, I told you last month that while I hope I'm wrong, I think Trump is in line to be the next Ross Perot. That's from Gary and Portage. Of course, the Ross Perot reference is Perot ran in 92. He ran in 96 as well, but 92 was his big year. He siphoned enough votes away from George Bush that Bill Clinton ended up getting elected with a plurality. Um, Jeff, I wish Trump would just start to go play golf. The end. <laughs> Jeff, I would consider Trump for sure. Um, all right, 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, see, here, here is the, the problem with this. And I, I understand that this is that unconventional and uncomfortable truth that people don't want to hear about. But but here is the reality. Donald Trump 
will never win another national election. And, and people need to hear this because he, he won in 2016 because he was sort of the unknown candidate. He was the, the celebrity. He was the outsider who was running against a very, very flawed candidate in Hillary Clinton. So, I mean, Democrats stayed home and Trump had his supporters. All right. We had the four years of President Trump, and and whether it was fair or unfair, he was never able to build on the base like Ronald Reagan, for example, did. And so, yes, you know, he increased his vote total from 2016 to 2020, but the opposition got more votes. And I don't even want to go down the route about people who are saying, well, the election was stolen and things like that. you got to get past that. So I just don't see a scenario where you expand on that, you know, how, how does he get more votes in 2024 than he got in 2020, especially after all the stuff that happened at the Capitol happened at the Capitol? I understand that there's some people out there that don't hold him responsible and don't think it's a big deal. But the truth is, I believe that there's a huge chunk of people who voted for him who are very, very disappointed with his behavior after the election in November, culminating in what happened in January. I just don't see, and I know whenever I say this, I get nasty emails from some people, but explain to me how you cobble together, how you you do better. If you lost in 2020, how are you going to win in 2024 when you're 78 years old and you've been out of power for a while? Now, Now, can you try to influence you know some down ballot races maybe but if people are saying well if donald trump forms a third party and he's going to lead it and i'm going to go vote for him well you're, you're pretty much again guaranteeing that whether it's joe biden or kamala harris or whoever it is that's going to run in 2024 you're guaranteeing that they're going to win now does that mean that you're going to um just cost continue to cost the republicans the senate and houses and congress don't know about that but the bottom line of all this is for people who just say that they're going to blindly follow Donald Trump, I, I almost want to say, what are you thinking when you, when you talk about this? Because don't you understand the political realities that are out there? I don't believe it's 47%. If the numbers were 25%, it would make more sense. But regardless, it, it does show that the Republican Party has a way to go. There's the Trump faction. There's the mainstream establishment Republicans. And at least right now, there appears to be a huge split. I think that's going to come together as we get closer to the next election. But Donald Trump is not going to go quietly away and play golf. And um, my guess is who knows what he's going to say Sunday when he talks to the conservative political action committee group in Orlando, Florida. But my guess is he's not going to be quietly going into the good night. Forty-seven percent say they would leave the Republican Party to vote for him. You, you didn't even, you didn't even have that kind of, I think, blind loyalty when when you had Bill Clinton or Barack Obama during their first terms. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds in just a minute.